From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Republican Senator Cory Gardner will join us after John Hickenlooper's decisive win in the Democratic Senate primary. What would Gardner do with a second term? And given President Trump's handling of COVID-19 and racial unrest, does Gardner return Trump's complete and total endorsement? Then, Colorado voters left, right, and center share what's on their minds heading into November. Also, Tuesday night's surprise. It wasn't the Senate primary, but a House contest which saw a rifle restaurant owner oust a sitting member of Congress. Western and Southern Colorado are in for a fascinating few months of campaigning. Plus, two longtime political watchers on whether we can really say all politics is local this year. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Colorado's U.S. Senate race is now set. Democratic and unaffiliated voters chose John Hickenlooper to face incumbent Republican Cory Gardner. And Senator Gardner is on the phone. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You sit on the Foreign Relations Committee. And so I'd like to start with Russian bounties on U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Senator, this intelligence was shared with the administration apparently in early 2019. Analysts believe these bounties resulted in the deaths of three Marines. And the intel eventually made it into the presidential daily brief, according to the AP. Should President Trump have acted on the information? Well, look, I think we should continue to act on information that is relevant to the safety of our men and women in uniform, whether they're in Afghanistan or anywhere around the globe. Uh, The Russian activities in Afghanistan are well known. In fact, in 2017, I published an op-ed in The New York Times talking about Russian interference and activities with the Taliban in Afghanistan, and as a result, introduced legislation to name Russia a state sponsor of terror. Uh, That bill has passed the Foreign Relations Committee, and it's awaiting final passage on the Senate floor. But it's a strong step I think we need to take uh, to push back against Russian aggression. Specifically on the question of the bounties, though, should the president have retaliated against Russia to send a clear message uh, about those particular uh, payments? Well, I think we should always go after people, whether it's Russia or anyone else who is trying to attack U.S. soldiers or interests. And I think that's the same information I believe that Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi had as well. Uh, It's why I've acted very swiftly and strongly uh, on sanctions against Russia. It's why I've uh, introduced legislation to to pursue additional sanctions on Russia and also to name them a state sponsor of terror. So uh, Russia's activities uh, deserve strong uh, and certain retaliation. Uh, And uh, that's why I've introduced this legislation. I do not hear you saying that the president should have acted earlier in this case. Well, I think if you listen to the analysts, uh, there's a difference between analysis uh, and collection. Uh, And I'm not in the presidential briefs. I believe it's the same information that Chuck Schumer had and Nancy Pelosi had around the same time. Uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are not the executives of the country. Do you have concerns that the president is not reading the daily briefs, as many many outlets have reported? Well, look, I don't, again, uh, you'd have to ask the president the question of whether he reads those daily briefs. Of course, the president uh, needs to read the daily briefs. You'd have to ask him. I'm not the president, obviously. Uh, And uh, what I hope that we can continue to do is work together on legislation. My bill is bipartisan uh, to name Russia a state sponsor of terror. Senator Gardner, tell me what your top priority would be if you get a second term. 
to continue to fight for the people of Colorado. Uh, we're going to need uh, economic uh, assistance and recovery to continue, uh, to continue our work on the coronavirus pandemic, uh, which we have uh, put billions of dollars toward a vaccine, and I believe we'll have that toward uh, the end of this year, if not sooner. Uh, we need to continue making progress. I'm going to continue to fight for every corner of the state. Uh, I'm not going to fire 250,000 energy workers like my opponent wants to do. Uh, I'm not going to have a massive tax increase like my uh, opponent John Hickenlooper wants to do. I'm not going to pack the Supreme Court like uh, John Hickenlooper wants to do. Uh, so these are all things that I think are a key distinguishing feature uh, between uh, the work that I will do for the people of Colorado, as I have already done, by bringing the Bureau of Land Management to Colorado, opening up Space Command in Colorado, a passage of the most significant uh, conservation bill in over 50 years uh, to fight for the state of Colorado. You mentioned economic assistance in the face of COVID-19. I'll say that 126,000 Americans have died of the disease, and the country's top disease expert says the U.S. could soon see 100,000 new cases per day. It's against that backdrop that several listeners, Senator, ask on Twitter about your many votes to dismantle the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Let me start with a yes or no. Do you support the administration's request before the Supreme Court to dismantle that law? Just again, yes or no, do you support that request? Well, Ryan, uh, thanks for the question. What we have to recognize is both Democrats and Republicans want to reverse the Affordable Quick Care Act. Uh, Do do you support the administration's request before the Supreme Court? Even John Hickenlooper wants to reverse the Affordable Care Act because he supports socialized medicine. So what we need to do is find Republicans and Democrats who are willing to work together to find a better solution than the Affordable Care Act. John Hickenlooper wants to build on the Affordable Care Act. Do you support the administration's brief before the Supreme Court to dismantle it? John Hickenlooper supports the socialized medicine and universal I'm asking care if you support. That's been reported by the, uh, the, the Associated Press. So uh, I don't think you can misinterpret John Hickenlooper's words when he clearly says, I support socialized medicine. I am very specifically. Position, he wants to end the Affordable Care Act. I, I am very specifically asking you if you support dismantling the Affordable Care Act right now, the request before the Supreme Court. Well, I agree with the Democrats that the Affordable Care Act is not working. But I do not support universal health care. What would you replace the Affordable Care Act with? Republicans have had many years to devise a plan and voters have yet to see something specific. Well, I certainly wouldn't replace it with socialized medicine. What would you replace it with? Joe Biden and John Hickenlooper want. Uh, What I look forward to working on is a plan that protects people with pre-existing conditions, a plan that allows people to buy health insurance across state lines, that builds on the risk pools to drive down insurance, to build on the telemedicine work that we're doing, and many other reforms that can drive down the cost of care, increasing the quality of care. But I don't think socialized medicine uh, is the right way to do it. In fact, Colorado voters resoundingly rejected universal health care just a couple years ago. With Republicans in control of the Senate and Republicans in control of the White House, why hasn't an alternative health care plan specifically emerged yet? Well, I think we have a number of plans. In fact, one of our plans was shown that it would reduce health care costs by an analysis that Blue Cross Blue Shield put forward. I remember talking to a Governor Hickenlooper about that plan. He actually said in a personal conversation with me that he liked that idea. So uh, I think uh, we didn't get a chance to get to vote on the plan that we would put in place. Earlier this week, the president tweeted that you have his complete and total endorsement. Has anything about the president's handling of COVID-19 or of racial justice, 
made you reassess your complete and total endorsement of him? Well, if your question is, am I going to support Joe Biden? I will not be supporting uh, Joe Biden. Uh, I think this country and Colorado have benefited from the work that we have continued to do. And we can always improve. Absolutely, we can always do better and we must do better. And so I look forward to uh, this election or the president will win this election. Uh, I look forward to uh, an election based on the solutions that I have been able to achieve for the state of Colorado uh, and uh, mentioned some of them already. But I don't think uh, this sort of movement towards socialized medicine, banning oil and gas, destroying jobs and economy in Colorado is the right thing. And if you look at uh, just a a year ago when John Hickenlooper said he'd make a lousy senator, he spent the last six months proving himself right. You mentioned economic assistance in the face of COVID-19 and the economic crisis that has followed. Um, Is that specifically economic assistance? Do you see another stimulus coming? That's certainly going to be part of the debate. I think it's incredibly important that the American people who've lost their jobs, 47 million people have made claims through uninsurance, that they're going to be okay, that they know they're going to be able to put food on the table, that they know that they're going to be able to meet rent and their mortgage payments. In Colorado, the unemployment rate is about 10.2%. It's less than they thought it would be at this point, but still far, far, far too high. That's why I was very, very supportive of the small business assistance programs that we put together, giving billions of dollars to Colorado businesses to hire and rehire people to keep small businesses doors open. That's why I'm going to continue to work with hotels and restaurants uh, to do everything we can to get Colorado's economy on track, our tourism economy on track. And it's why I passed the Great American Outdoors Act, which is estimated to create over 100,000 jobs, uh, thousands of which will be in some of Colorado's hardest hit communities. Uh, so it's a, it's, we have to consider it all, and we have to act, uh, act very quickly on making sure that Coloradans get back on their feet. Last question, Senator. I know you have to go. William Perry Pendley has been nominated to lead the Bureau of Land Management, now headquartered in Grand Junction. You were instrumental in getting that national office to Colorado. Pendley used to advocate for the selling of public land. He has called climate activists kooks. He's been dismissive of Black Lives Matter. Should those be disqualifying when it comes to him getting the job permanently at BLM? Well, that's exactly why we're going to have a hearing and some very tough questions for uh, Mr. Penley. Uh, I was excited that we had bipartisan support from uh, John Hickenlooper, from Governor Polis, uh, from Senator Bennett for moving the headquarters of Bureau of Land Management to Colorado uh, so that we can be closer to the leadership there. Uh, But uh, that's exactly why we have a confirmation hearing with the process investigation and checks uh, and uh, uh, the the hearing that will be uh, provided. I would expect tough questions in a hearing, uh, but those are not disqualifying uh, you're saying those aspects of his background? Well, we haven't even had the hearing yet, so uh, I look forward to this investigative process. Senator, thank you for being with us. Thanks very much. Senator Cory Gardner, Republican, faces Democrat John Hickenlooper in November, and Hickenlooper will join us tomorrow. For now, here's a snippet of his victory speech Tuesday night after besting Andrew Romanoff by 20 points. When I look at the chaos and incompetence of of how this country is being run. When I think of the hundreds of thousands of of Coloradans and millions of Americans out of work, when I think of our long overdue mission to finally achieve racial and social justice, or see how the urgent need of of addressing climate change is, is being ignored, when I consider the daily threat of this administration trying to take healthcare away from us, I know it has never been more clear that we have to say enough is enough. We must come together to reclaim our country 
and assert the fundamental decency of a nation that, that looks out for its people, that, that treats everyone with respect, and lives up to the ideals at the very foundation of who we are as a country. Let me be clear, change is coming, and you and I are going to bring it together. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper after winning the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. Last night's biggest upset came in western and southern Colorado. Five-term Representative Scott Tipton was unseated by political newcomer Lauren Boebert in the Republican primary. CPR's D.C. reporter Caitlin Kim covered the race and joins us from Washington. Hi, Caitlin. Morning. Start off by telling us a bit more about Boebert. Uh, I imagine she's a new name for a lot of people outside the 3rd District. Right. So she's the owner of Shooter's Grill in Rifle, Colorado. It's known for its uh, pistol packing servers. She's 33, married, mother of four boys. Um, she's a strong guns right, gun rights advocate. She confronted a uh, former presidential candidate, Beto O'Rourke, at an event in September discussing gun violence, saying he wasn't going to take away her AR-15s or AK-47s. She supports President Trump's agenda. She's a MAGA conservative, and she says she's running to protect conservative values. Um, She told me that if she won, she'd join the ranks of the Freedom Caucus, known for its strong belief in fiscal conservatism and small government. And what kind of campaign did she run against Tipton? Well, you know, she's a firebrand, and she went after Tipton and his record. It included votes for the CARES Act, which was that um, almost $2 trillion coronavirus relief package that President Trump signed into law. But she also went after Tipton on other issues, like his support of a bill um, with Democratic Representative Joe Neguse. It would get rid of the 500,000 population cap for direct local coronavirus aid. That's every community in the 3rd District, many of whom were worried that they weren't going to get any of that aid to help with their coronavirus response costs. She sort of called it the Boulder bailout. Um, And while Tipton was out or Zooming with different groups during this crisis, there weren't any debates between the two candidates. It almost seemed like Tipton was acting as if he didn't have a challenger. Um, The League of Women Voters in La Plata had a candidate forum. Tipton was the only one who didn't attend. What role did President Trump play in this race? He picked a side, didn't he? He did. Uh, President Trump endorsed Tipton twice via Twitter, um, once in December, just after Boebert announced her candidacy, and then again Monday night, right before the primary. Um, Tipton, as you probably know, is one of the two honorary co-chairs of the Trump re-election effort in Colorado. You know, he is someone that didn't uh, withdraw his support for President Trump after the Access Hollywood tape. They shared a stage together in February at Trump's rally in Colorado Springs. You know, that said, after Tipton conceded, Trump tweeted out his congratulations on a, quote, really great win to Boebert. To Boebert. Now, she has already attracted some controversy for her support of a conspiracy theory known as QAnon. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? So I think support is kind of strong. I didn't ask her about this when I spoke with her in June, but I did listen to the show where she was asked about it. You know, Boebert isn't dismissive of QAnon, the conspiracy theory alleging a deep state attack on Trump and other allegations against Democratic politicians. What she said is, based on what she heard about Q, she hopes that it's real. I mean, I think her exact quote after was, it only means America is getting stronger and better and people are returning to conservative values. And that's what I'm for. And that's sort of been her message um, all along this campaign is she's a, a strong conservative and wants to represent the conservative values of the third district. How does having Boebert as the Republican candidate change the dynamic of this race? 
So I think that really remains to be seen. You know, the question is, like, has the district really shifted farther right? Was it a protest vote against Titton or did Boebert, you know, like Trump, tap into Republican discontent in the district? Um, It does have a Republican bent, but she's an untested, relatively unknown candidate. Uh, She did go out and talk with voters before the pandemic and has started up again. But we'll see how her message resonates going forward now that she is the candidate. Um, I think it does give Democrats more hope that they might actually be able to flip this seat Hmm. because it's essentially an open contest. Um, And I think this is a question that CPR will be delving more into in the months ahead. And it's a tremendously diverse district as well in terms of its people, in terms of its geography. Tell us a, a bit more about the Democrat that Boebert will be running against. She'll be running against Diane Mitch Bush. Um, She's a longtime resident of the Western Slope, a former Route County commissioner and state representative. You know, on the campaign trail, she touted her ability to get things done and her experience as a legislator. Um, She ran against Tipton in 2018, losing by eight points. But she says that's the closest any Democrat ever got to unseating Tipton. She also said she's learned a lot about running in a congressional race in 2018 and that she thinks that will help her this year. One interesting note, whoever wins in November in the third congressional district, it means Colorado will have a second female representative in Congress. Exactly. It's been 10 years since the Colorado delegation contained more than one woman. The last time was 2010 when Betsy Markley lost her re-election bid to Cory Gardner. So, yes, another woman in the delegation. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you, Ryan. CPR's D.C. reporter Caitlin Kim joining us from Washington. You know, it's an understatement to say that Coloradans have a lot on their minds this election year. I mean, a global pandemic, an economic crisis, deep concerns about racial justice. And they will weigh all of those issues and more in voting for candidates up and down the ballot. So with primary results in and the road to November clearer, we've invited some Colorado voters to join us. Allison Nuanis of Denver voted for Andrew Romanoff in the Democratic primary. Hi, Allison. Oh, hello. Kalinas Newsom chose Democrat John Hickenlooper. She's been an occasional guest, I'll say, in our Breaking Bread series. And welcome back, Kalinas. Thank you for having me this morning. Herman Utek. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Herman Utek of Hudson, Colorado, in Weld County, supports Republican incumbent Cory Gardner. Hi, Herman. Good morning. And Rick Natalink of Denver is unaffiliated. He voted for Hickenlooper in the Democratic primary. Hello, Rick. Hi, Ryan. Allison, I understand you were undecided until recently between the two Democrats in the Senate race. But as we said, you ended up voting for Romanoff. Uh, what, right. ma- what made you pick him in the end? And do you think you'll support Mr. Hickenlooper? Well, I, I'll definitely support Hickenlooper. I was really on the fence, um, but decided, you know, kind of at the last minute, I like to vote on, on Election Day. So <laughs> I brought my ballot in yesterday. For Romanoff. And um, I think the the tipping point for me was um, some of Romanoff's uh, recent, or actually some of Hickenlooper's recent gaffes and his campaign gaffes that made me really nervous about, you know, some of his his electability, really. Um, And so I decided to go for Romanoff, who I've always liked and uh, and knew had a harder road ahead of him. But I figured, why not vote for him in the primary? And, you know, of course, support whoever wins coming out of it. And, of course, support whoever wins. I mean, that's not a given. <laughs> that's not a given. But it, but it is for you. It 
Yeah, it is for me. I, I, I definitely do not support Corey Gardner and his uh, his record. And so uh, for me, either Hickenlooper or Romanoff, you know, I, I like them both. Um, but I decided Romanoff because I could this time around. Kalinas, what's the main reason you threw your support behind Mr. Hickenlooper, uh, especially given some of the, the kind of gaffes that we just heard Allison describe? Yeah, so I, I, I'm i sort of a, you know, I'm not going to play checkers when, you know, we're playing chess here. And, and I love Andrew, uh, love, love the progressive nature of, of who he is. Um, but I felt like, you know, John Hickenlooper would be a better candidate to um, take on Cora Gardner, um, you know, as a African-American woman who is very progressive. Um, I, I don't feel like um, my, I have the ability to be um, flexible in how I think around progressive issues uh, as a woman of color and folks, you know, white folks that vote, you know, don't necessarily support, you know, very you know, progressive policies. And so I went with what I would consider to be a safe choice, um, but one that I feel is, would be a lot more beneficial to the culture and climate that we're seeing in our country today, um, as opposed to uh, Cory Gardner, who I just philosophically um, cannot support because of his uh, support of, of, and of, of Donald Trump, who I just think is, is an incredibly problematic uh, president for and- people who look like me. For people who look like you. And so electability was uh, very important in your choice of Hickenlooper. Uh, Herman, as we said, you support Gardner. What have you seen from him in the last six years that makes that so? Well, he's tried to hold the line on taxes some and be good for Colorado. Uh, He's a rural man with roots in agriculture, which we don't have very much of that in Washington or, or even Colorado. It's interesting you say that because uh, it has occurred to me that if John Hickenlooper were to win the Senate race, that would mean that both of Colorado's U.S. senators hail from the metro area. That rural perspective is important to you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Look what's happened to our metro area. Uh, a lot of things that weren't good. And uh, Hickenlooper, he doesn't have a backbone. And I could elaborate on that, but I think we all know where I'm coming from. Uh, do you mean uh, in pinning him down on issues? or? Yeah, yeah. Well, was when he was governor, uh, uh, he wouldn't sign a death warrant when that was the law in this state. So how can we trust that he'll do the right thing in the future? He doesn't have the backbone. He wouldn't make a decision. And I'm not saying I'm for the death penalty or against it, but uh, but he, he wouldn't— uh, do as the law required him to do. He just kind of bowed out on the deal. You're speaking here if, of, if of that's Mr. With the Nathan Lund, yeah, with the Nathan Dunlap deal and the Chuck E. Cheese shootings. Some of you probably don't hardly remember that. Uh, well, I, I do, but uh, it's true that there may be some who do not. That's been quite I a few remember years that. ago. Yeah. I remember that. Okay, Rick yep. Natalink yeah. of Denver, uh, as we mentioned, you are unaffiliated. You voted for Hickenlooper in the Democratic primary, but you have supported Republican candidates in the past. Tell me about your thinking voting for Hickenlooper. Well, I guess uh, voting in the Democratic primary was an easy choice because the Republican primary was uncontested. And mm-hmm. then 
and then choosing Higginlooper, you know, I'm I'm a, an independent. I probably lean actually a little bit to the right historically. So choosing Higginlooper in that primary wasn't that difficult for me because, you know, he's a he's a moderate. He's a pragmatist. He's proven that over a long period of time. And Andrew Romanoff just is a little too, you know, a little too progressive for my my political leaning. So, I mean, I think and I think that that Higginlooper was a, a very successful governor for two terms. So um, so the, the two choices didn't pan out to be that that difficult for me, even though, generally speaking, I consider myself to be a little a little right of center. Could Cory Gardner sway you to his camp? Well, I mean, I I voted for both. I voted for both Higginlooper and Gardner in 2014. So I, I voted for for Gardner in 2014 for Senate and for Higginlooper for for Governor. So I split my vote. Um, I'm just going to say but, that that makes you something of a unicorn uh, these days. <laughs> I mean, just given I the hyper partisanship. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, right now, probably I'm leaning a little towards Higginlooper. And the reason why that is, is because um, uh, because Higginlooper is a, is a pragmatist and he's a he's a moderate. And that's all he's ever been. He was a good two term governor. We know exactly what he is. I mean, Cory Gardner in 2014, he marketed himself as a as a fiscal conservative and a social moderate. I mean, uh, small government, fiscal conservatism, uh, balanced budgets. Um, you know, but but being more moderate and uh, you know in pro-immigration reform and things like that. But when he actually got to Washington, that's not what he actually turned out to be, right? He he turned out to be a big spending, um, you know, social conservative. And so I think I, he kind of sold us a bill of goods in 2014, and he's going to spend the next four months trying to convince us that he actually is the guy that he told us he was in 2014. But it's it's going to be a hard sell for me. You know, Herman, uh, one thing that we heard very early on from Cory Gardner is, I will stand up to my party when I believe my party is wrong. Do you think that you have seen enough of that from Cory Gardner? Yeah, yeah, I have. Where? Uh, uh, well, I, I, right, I can't bring a point up right now, but uh, he, always, he hasn't always stood beside uh, our president, you know, on certain issues. And because uh, Trump initially wasn't even going to campaign for him, but did. I re- you remember that. Uh, I do remember that. Um, yes. So, Allison, Romanoff yes. was seen as a long shot in the Senate primary. And I-, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about your vote. Did you think that he could actually win? Was there a part of you that thought his campaign was viable or was this about sending a message? That's a good question. I think that's where I grappled with my vote for so long. Was I sending a message? Was I just voting in this primary to have my voice be heard Mm -hmm. uh, symbolically? Or did I actually think he could win? And, And, you know, when it came down to it, when I decided to vote for Romanoff, I decided in my own mind that I did think he could win. I think there were, I I personally was not a a Bernie Sanders supporter, but there was such a huge amount of Bernie Sanders support in this state. There's a lot of uh, progressive movement going on in Colorado. And I thought, you know, if I can't vote for my, you know, my heart in the primary, when can I? So I might as well put it towards, um, Romanoff right now. And, you know, that that's kind of where I where I made my decision. Do you think Romanoff got a fair shake 
and I ask that in relation to the National Democratic Party. Probably not. I mean, when he's going up against somebody with a name as big as Hickenlooper and, you know, I mean, Hickenlooper has been tossed around as a VP, uh, you know, candidate, you know, all kinds of things in the past. And he's really well known. And, oh, shoot, I'm getting a delivery and my dogs are going to bark. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll let you handle that for just a moment because I'd like to go back to Kalinas Newsom. Again, a Democrat who chose John Hickenlooper. Uh, she has been an occasional guest in our Breaking Bread series. And um, Kalinas, before the break, uh, you made reference to your race. You are African-American. And this has been a time of a, of a national reckoning around racial justice. How much of that was playing into your vote before the death of George Floyd? And how much is it playing after? I'm interested in whether that has moved the needle or it has just always been front of mind for you? Um, it's always been front of mind for me. And, you know, I, I think it, I, I think I also need to preface this um, by saying that my, my father um, and my mother are from rural Mississippi. So a uh, farming community in Mississippi. So I definitely um, can understand uh, the, the rural um, aspects of what's, you know, of, of what's important as well and some of the inequities that exist in rural communities. My father was also one of the first African-Americans to caucus for the Republican Party here in Colorado. So mm-hmm. I have a, a, a very interesting background in, in that regard. For me, um, race has always played a role in in, in how I vote um, and not so much, you know, um, you know, in, in sort of the traditional ways that African-Americans, I think, show up but um, more around racial justice and what that looks like um, in partnerships with um, folks that don't look like me. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I think was brought up a little bit earlier was the death penalty. And, you know, I've always found that to be, you know, sort of a juxtaposition between, you know, conservative values around, you know, um, you know, being pro-life and then, um, you know, sort of really, you know, not sort of seeing the bigger picture around cradle to grave. And so, you know, for me, that this this election is is really about strategy. I, I just don't think that um, people can oftentimes appreciate um, how often African Americans and people of color in general have to sacrifice their own identities um, in order to in things that might actually benefit their communities and not benefit in the sense of taking things away from other people, but actually strengthening and and. Um, you know, improving things like education, access to health care, economic justice, um, you know, environmental justice. And, and oftentimes we have to give that up um, because of um, the white voting block in this country. And so, you know, one of the things that my dad always said was that if you um, align yourself in a way that's so far to the left that you you really do ruin any chances you have of actually um, making any any change. And mm-hmm. so that was one of the reasons why I decided to vote for Hickenlooper, even though I definitely align with Andrew um, Romanoff. I think the other thing I need to just say and, and preface this is that this is not the time to sort of sit back and remain um, neutral. If you are not looking at the culture and climate of this country right now and the hateful rhetoric that's coming from our current, uh, you know, leader, uh, our current leader, um, around, you know, the George Floyd incident, 
um, you know, and the COVID-19 response and the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities, then you're not actually looking out for the well-being of the entire collective. And and that's the part that I think, um, you know, it's, it, it actually hurts when I, when I think about how selfish we can be in that way. So that's why I voted for Hickenlooper, because I just think he's the safer choice to at least get some things done um, in a way that feels feels fair, even though I feel like I'm sacrificing a lot for my, you know, in regards to my own dispositions and leanings, um, you know, in a, in a progressive way. Four months till the general election in November. And uh, Herman and Rick, I'm, I'm interested before we wrap in what... Uh, extent to what extent COVID nineteen is playing into the decisions you're making, uh, the the choices about the pandemic uh, that elected officials are making. Rick, is is that on your radar? Uh, absolutely, it is. I mean, I've only just gotten back into my office, um, uh, you know, and gotten a few days in uh, of work um, in my office rather than from home. But I think, you know, um, I, I think that there's been a, a a huge leadership vacuum in Washington, um, particularly from the president with respect to leadership on the on the COVID nineteen. And I think, you know, we 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 could be like Europe or some other of the developed world where we are, you know, on the downslope of this pandemic if it were not for the leadership vacuum and um, and that's going to play into my decision making in November absolutely because I fully expect that we're going to be still dealing with this in November so um, and um, I, although I do think that Gardner himself has been um, has been a little bit more proactive as I think Colorado has handled the situation much better than the country as a whole I mean to the point that uh, Governor Polis has thanked Senator Gardner for his work on helping secure equipment. Uh, Herman in Hudson, Colorado, uh, to what extent is COVID-19 playing into your vote, if at all? Oh, yes, it is. It's, it's playing a role. And, and yes, I'm somewhat disappointed with Washington, what's happened with uh, COVID and all that. But uh, things don't happen overnight in Washington. I, I become frustrated with that with both parties. Everything takes time. And this thing took really too much time to to get going but the states need to take responsibility also uh rather than just cry uh help help from the feds you know we've got i think we have too much federal government today but not in this case with the covid don't get me wrong but this huge government and this deficit spending we got this has got to stop or this country will become bankrupt well, I want to thank you all for joining us. I really appreciate it. So you heard there from human, uh, Herman Utech of Hudson, Colorado and Weld County, who supports Republican incumbent Cory Gardner. Rick Natalink is an unaffiliated voter who voted for Hickenlooper in the primary, but has also supported Republicans. We heard from Colinas Newsom, who supports Hickenlooper, and Allison Nuanas of Denver, with apparently the qui- quietest dogs in the state. Uh, she voted for Andrew Romanoff in the Democratic U.S. Senate primary. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. This Friday, join Indie 1023 for the debut of MCA Denver's B-Side Music Friday's concert series. Exclusive performances captured on the rooftop of the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver every Friday on our Facebook. And kicking off the summer-long concert series, Wilderness. Join Indie 1023 and MCA Denver this Friday night at 7 and every Friday through the summer on the Indie 1023 Facebook page. The old adage is that all politics is local. 
But the U.S. Senate race that took shape Tuesday night puts Colorado at the center of a national political fight. For more on what transpired and what's ahead between now and November, I'm joined by two people who follow Colorado elections closely. Dick Wadhams, longtime Republican activist, former chair of the state party. Hi again, Dick. Hi there, Ryan. Nice and to be with you. It's nice to have you at a safe distance in our studio. That's right. I, should, I think more than six <laughs> feet. Seth Maskett teaches political science at the University of Denver, where he directs the Center on American Politics. He has especially been watching the Democratic field take shape. And hello again, Seth. Good morning. Good to see you. You've both been listening to this show. Maybe I could get you to reflect on what we heard from Senator Gardner first off. Anything that stands out to you, Nick? Well, uh, I think it's interesting that he did the interview, (laughs) Ryan, because last night uh, Governor Hickenlooper did his victory statement by Facebook and refused to do any interviews last night with any local media. And I assume you're not having him on today. Uh, we are actually. We're recording a conversation with him after this show. Uh, or we are scheduled to. Okay. Well, uh, he, he didn't do any last night. And I thought that was a stark contrast, that Corey was doing interviews with um, anybody who asked him last night. And I think it's it's another indication the Hickenlooper campaign doesn't have a lot of confidence in their candidate. That they, they By the way, he used a teleprompter last night, too. Uh, Corey wouldn't had had doesn't need a teleprompter to give a victory speech. I think that I think it's a, it's a very flawed candidate going into the general election with uh, Hickenlooper, frankly. And do you think that that is a flaw large enough to overcome what we see in some of the polls, which is that uh, President Trump trails something like you know in one poll 19 percent in colorado that's something that gardner would have to overcome yeah that's the biggest advantage that uh, hickenlooper has going into the fall campaign uh ryan is that uh, i assume i don't, don't know what the numbers are i assume that Tr- trump is way underwater r- right now nationally if the election were held today there's no doubt that biden would win a huge victory uh, I think would, that's such an absurd line. If the election were held today, well, whenever I hear that, it makes me I, laugh. It's like I understand, <laughs> but I mean, but 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 I think that it, it, it's it's true. Yeah. And um, uh, but there are four months, and at some point, Biden is going to have to come out from underneath his bunker and campaign. Yes, I thought he was frankly pathetic in his news conference yesterday. Uh, reporters were pre-selected; their questions probably were too. He would, I didn't think he was impressive at all. So at some point, this will come down to a choice. And I do think the numbers will close at that point. But believe me, I understand Trump has every ability to hand this election to Biden. Believe me, I understand that. Now, I'll just say one person's bunker is another person's social distancing in the COVID <laughs> era. Uh, Seth Maskett, what do you make of what you heard from Senator Gardner at the beginning of the program? So I was sort of curious how he was going to handle what I, I guess is the main weakness for him in his campaign, which is his association with President Trump right now. Um, and it was interesting. You you sort of handed him a number of opportunities to distance himself from the president, which he largely didn't bite at. Um, he he did not really criticize the president on the issue of Russia paying bounties to the Taliban or on his COVID response or anything like that. Um, you did, uh, I noticed you were asking him whether Trump still has his total endorsement. Uh, uh, Gardner has been a, a very strong backer of Trump's reelection and he also didn't really bite at that. Um, he had just, he simply turned that into a, an attack on Joe Biden and on Democrats more generally. So, you know, I think it's interesting to see how he's going to handle, 
uh, basically the President Trump issue. Um, this is likely to be a very nationalized campaign going forward. It's going to turn a lot on issues of the national economy, the national response to the virus, and just people's attitudes toward President Trump. Um, so that's that's a that's a difficult situation uh, for Gardner to find himself in. But you know, obviously, he's a he's a pretty skilled and experienced candidate. There are very specific achievements that Senator Gardner has had for Colorado, getting the BLM to move. In this case, BLM, the Bureau of Land Management to Grand Junction uh, Space Command, the Great American uh, Outdoors Act, although he has faced criticism for not supporting another wilderness bill, the CORE Act. Does his association with Trump overshadow some of those successes? Do those successes matter in a kind of nationalized election, Dick? Oh, Ryan, I think they do. They matter a great deal. Um, having been involved in a couple of Senate races in yeah. Colorado over the years and in and, and, uh, and, and a governor's race, um, voters want to know when what, what incumbents have done during their terms of service. And Corey has a great story to tell on that front. Um, and in terms of the Trump uh, agenda, listen, I, I don't disagree that Trump is a liability. But I also know this, that um, when we get to specific issues in terms of the Trump uh, record, the tax cuts, uh, if Hickenlooper wants to repeal the tax cuts, he is imposing a tax increase, not only on individual taxpayers up and down the economic ladder, but also on small businesses across this country. That's one of the reasons why this economy exploded and um, uh, is because of the uh, the tax policies of, of the Trump administration. Does uh, Hickenlooper want to... Um, uh, does he disagree with the two uh, judicial appointments in Colorado, Allison Ide, one of the brilliant uh, scholars in America, or Daniel Domenico, the other federal judge he appointed? Does he disagree that those they were appointed? Does he disagree with the deregulation that uh, the Trump administration has um, has has accomplished? One one good one, Waters of the U.S., which was going to regulate stock tanks on ranches and farms. Uh, I think that. Um, uh, it's it's easy to bash the Trump record and to uh, bash Trump himself because he certainly invites it and uh, welcomes it. Uh, but um, I will tell you when when Corey will be deadly in terms of talking about the specific issues, and Hickenlooper, Ryan last night. I mean, he couldn't even read from a teleprompter. This guy is not ready for this campaign. And yet Hickenlooper has proven himself a formidable candidate in statewide races. Do you see a difference between Hickenlooper today and Hickenlooper of your um, Seth Maskett? <laughs> um, it's actually it's a pretty similar campaigning style all throughout. I mean, you know, we, we can some his defenders will describe it as sort of a, a, a quirky or friendly or non-traditional campaign style. Um, his critics will say, well, he, he makes some gaffes here and there. Um, this hasn't really seemed to hurt him in past elections. Um, in fact, it's it's kind of a in some ways been seen as kind of a strength of his. I don't think it really helped him very much when he tried to run for president last year. Um, but within Colorado, um, he has been, as you say, he's been very formidable. He's he's uh, really scared a number of other Democrats out of running uh, when he puts his name on the ballot, and um, he tends to do quite well against his Republican opponents. I, I just want to shift the conversation for a moment, just because we don't have a ton of time, uh, to what I focused on earlier in the show with our D.C. reporter, Caitlin Kim, and that is the big surprise in the 3rd Congressional District. covers a lot of the Western Slope, along with Pueblo. Incumbent Republican Scott Tipton lost the nomination to a political newcomer, Lauren Boebert. She owns a restaurant in Rive. In Rifle, she's a strong gun rights advocate. 
argue that Tipton wasn't conservative enough for the district. Dick, what happened there? <laughs> What's your assessment? Well, <clears throat> it, it was interesting to see that Scott Tipton wasn't conservative enough. He has one of the most conservative voting records in Congress. And two um, endorsements in recent uh, months from the president. That's exactly right. Uh, listen, uh, Boebert, um, she she got her first initial look when she took on uh, Beto O'Rourke over gun control. And she's very media savvy. And she worked conservative talk radio very effectively uh, these last several months. And that is a powerful medium in the 3rd Congressional District. Uh, and uh, Scott grossly underestimated her. Uh, and, um, uh, she, she, and she's got a powerful... A very dynamic personality. I mean, and, and, you know, Scott's a you know, 64-year-old, a 10-year incumbent, and, and she's a much younger, and she's a, a business owner. She got a lot of attention on closing her bar, uh, opening her bar opening, in, yeah. in defiance of the, of the polis directives. Um, but the, the main thing, I think Scott underestimated her, and as a result, he's no longer going to be a congressman. Uh, I will say that Trump also uh, tweeted congratulations yes, to Boebert. Sure. Um, and did you think that this opens up the race for Democrats in a way that it would not have had Tipton remained? Yes. And to be honest, I do think it makes it competitive. Yeah. What do you think, Seth Maska? It's definitely more competitive. I, I don't know. It remains to be seen how much Democrats will actually sink into this race. Um, but uh, she is a much more polarizing figure than Tipton was. I believe uh, Trump won that district by about 12 points, which is roughly the same that Bush won it by back in 2004. Um, and the district flipped Democrat in 2006. So it's certainly it's plausible for Democrats to take this, although it would be a significant fight. I, tell me if this is good math or important math. I looked at how many votes were cast in the Republican primary and the Democratic primary. It was not a huge difference. It was not lopsided. Does that tell us anything about the third right now? That was with, within the third Yeah, of those votes were similar? I mean, it just suggests, you know, there were two fairly competitive uh, primaries going on yeah. at the same time, which was pretty much the only part of the state where that was true. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe just a few minutes to focus on uh, the divide in the Democratic Party that was manifest between Sanders and Biden and also between Hickenlooper and Romanoff. Uh, do you think that that will be a liability in the general set? Um, I don't think so. I, th I think we heard some fairly conciliatory comments by both Romanoff and Hickenlooper last night. It's possible that there are, you know, and I, I think we've heard uh, from some interviews that, uh, you know, there are some people who are very supportive of Romanoff who are, I think, disappointed in the party. They will end up voting for Hickenlooper. That's like Allison Nuanas we heard earlier this hour. But they may not be as enthusiastic. They may not raise as much money uh, or, you know, knock on as many doors or anything like that. But uh, still, ultimately, you know, you don't really see the basis for a major rift within the Democratic Party right now. Yeah, let me just say that uh, the man Hickenlooper defeated last night, Andrew Romanoff, very quickly endorsed him early his supporters to as well. Just hear a bit of that. I called John Hickenlooper a few moments ago to congratulate him and to pledge my full support in his race against Cory Gardner. I hope you'll join me in doing exactly the same thing. For all the differences that we had, and there were many uh, in this race, I am uh, equally committed to making sure that Cory Gardner is a one-term senator and that John Hickenlooper replaces him in November. I think what will be most fascinating to watch, Dick, in the general is that 40 percent of Colorado voters now are unaffiliated. Right. 
That doesn't mean that they are not partisans to right. some extent. Right. But what they will do, their behavior is critical here. Oh, sure. Just say a few words about that. Well, first of all, that, that's not a new dynamic. I mean, even when unaffiliated were 30 percent, they were the swing vote. And of course, not all unaffiliated are, uh, are, are truly moderates and, and swing voters. I mean, especially now, a lot of ideologically liberal and conservative voters register unaffiliated because... They don't like the two parties or they want to get both ballots in the mail or whatever. Yeah, the semi-open primary has yeah. given them some some new tools. They have. And um, so I don't think that uh, they're all uh, true moderates who who weigh the issues before they vote. But but this is the, the, the thing. There will Just be, briefly. There will be a slice of the electorate that will vote for Joe Biden, but who will be open to voting for Cory Gardner if he can make the case to him. That's Cory's uh, that's Corey's challenge is, is to find that. And I think he can. Okay, so maybe not as quite as much as a unicorn corn, as I described earlier in the program. <laughs> Gentlemen, thanks so much for being this. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Dick Wadhams, longtime Republican activist, former state party chair. Seth Maskett teaches political science at the University of Denver, where he also heads the Center on American Politics. And that's Colorado Matters for today. Thanks for spending time with us. I'm Ryan Warner. This is CPR News. CPR News.